When we first visited here, we had never been to Jacksonville before, so we had a lot of questions about the town. One of the most important questions we asked at the very beginning was, where are some good places to live? And by asking that question, you know what we mean when we're asking that, right? We're asking, where are the, the nice, safe neighborhoods with homes of decent size that are reasonably priced? Where are the homes with good resale value that are in a good location and that are not too far away from the church? That's what we mean when we ask that, right? Another important question we asked was, where are the good places to eat? That's a very important question, isn't it? And by asking that question, it was understood that we were asking, where are the places that have the best food, the places that are easy to find, the places that are nearby and reasonably priced? And even though we have lived in Jacksonville, Jacksonville now for almost three years, it seems as if at times we are still asking these types of questions. For example, a while back I was having some car problems, so I asked, where can I find a good mechanic? And all of you know what's meant when I ask that, right? It's understood by that question that I'm wanting to take my car to a place nearby, to a person who knows what he's doing, and to one who is fair and affordable. And by the way, the answers we received on all of those questions that we asked were, were helpful. And the reason why is because the people we asked knew what makes for a good place to live and a good place to eat and the characteristics of a good mechanic. So I want to thank all of you all who have helped us there so far. Thank you for the guidance, and we're going to look for more of you, uh, you know, for future guidance as well, I'm sure. And this morning, I want to return the favor to all of you in here. I want you to know that I know of a good shepherd, and I want to tell you about him. And I want to share with you all the wonderful characteristics that makes this shepherd good. And I want to tell you why he can be looked to and known and trusted and followed. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 10. John 10, we are continuing our sermon series this morning through the book of John. And this morning, in this chapter, we are given several characteristics that help us to understand why Jesus is to be looked to and trusted and followed as the Good Shepherd. Now, before we get into this, let's do a quick review from last week because the story from chapter 9 really sets up what Jesus has to say here in chapter 10. Remember last week, in chapter 9, we discussed the story about the man who was blind from birth. And remember, Jesus comes along... And he heals this man both of his physical and his spiritual blindness. And remember we talked about the great irony of this story being the fact that at the end of the story, the man who was born blind is the one who can truly see, while the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, who have been able to see their entire lives are the ones who are truly blind in a spiritual sense. And this is not just implied. Jesus comes out and says this. 
he lets those in his audience know that though the Pharisees are the religious leaders, they are in fact blind guides. See, they were supposed to be the leader of God's people. They were supposed to be the leaders of Israel. They were supposed to be the ones who had the inside track on the things of God. And many thought of them in that way. Many looked to them as the experts, as the cream of the crop, the skilled theologians. But Jesus calls them blind guides. He states this at the end of verse 9. He mentions that they were blinded by their own sinfulness. And in Matthew chapter 23, verse 24, he calls them blind guides. He says, woe to you, you blind guides, you blind shepherds, woe to you. Well, in chapter 10, Jesus puts himself forward once again as a much better alternative. And his main point in this chapter is to show that though the Jewish religious leaders are blind guides and poor shepherds headed for destruction, Jesus states that he is the good shepherd who is to be looked to and trusted and followed. And again, in our text, we're going to look at several reasons why Jesus is to be thought of and looked to in this way as the good shepherd. Here's the first reason why. The first reason why is because he is a legitimate shepherd. He is a good shepherd because he is a legitimate shepherd. Look at John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. This is so good. Notice here that Jesus uses the imagery of a sheepfold, a gatekeeper, and a shepherd. And Jesus is using this illustration here to show that he is the legitimate shepherd because he is recognized by the gatekeeper as the shepherd of the sheep. Now, the imagery is pretty obvious here, right? The gatekeeper is the father, Jesus is the shepherd, and the sheep are his followers. But notice also here that he makes mention of those who try and enter in by another way. And notice he refers to them as thieves and robbers. And knowing the context here, we learn that these thieves and robbers are the Pharisees. Notice Jesus does not call them shepherds, does he? He doesn't say they were misguided, misled shepherds. He doesn't call them shepherds at all, does he? He calls them thieves and robbers. He very strongly, yet clearly through this illustration, makes the point that the Pharisees are not true shepherds. They do not belong to the fold. And they are not recognized by the gatekeeper. They are, in fact, illegitimate and criminal. So Jesus is making a very clear distinction here, isn't he, between himself and them. And he does this to make the point that he is the good shepherd. He is the one who is to be trusted and followed. He is the one who is recognized by the gatekeeper and goes through the front gate into the sheepfold because he is legitimate. He is genuine. He is authentic. 
He is the good shepherd. Now, when making this distinction, one must ask this question. Why is Jesus legitimate and the Pharisees not? Why is he considered the good shepherd while they are referred to as thieves and robbers? Why is he allowed through the front gate while they're denied access? Well, Jesus tells us later in this passage. Skip on down and look at verse 30. John chapter 10, verse 30. Look at what he says. He says, I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Now, what's going on here? What does Jesus mean when he says, I and the Father are one? And why does this statement make the Jews so angry? Here's why. Because Jesus, by saying this, is claiming to be divine. He is claiming to be deity. He's claiming to be God. He's putting himself on par with God, on equal ground with God here, and they know it, which is why they pick up stones to stone him. Now, what does this have to do with this first point here? Well, I'll tell you. You see, what Jesus is saying here in verse 30 is that he and God are completely unified. Remember back in chapter 8, when Jesus is, is explaining this relationship between he and the Father, and he says that he and the Father are so closely associated with one another that to know one is to know the other, and to not know one is to not know the other. You remember that? Well, the Pharisees have rejected Jesus. And according to Jesus, to reject him is to necessarily reject the Father. Remember we said in chapter 8, you can't have one without the other, can you? There's none of this taking God and leaving Christ out. Yet that's what the Pharisees try and do here. They wanted to be right with God and thought they were. They thought of themselves as spiritual guides for God, but they had a big problem. They rejected His Son. They rejected Jesus. They rejected the true guide, the good shepherd, who was sent by and one with God the Father. So this is why the Pharisees do not belong to the fold. This is why the Pharisees are not recognized by the shepherd. This is why they're considered illegitimate and criminal. This is, why, this is why Jesus has the authority and they do not. This is why Jesus is the good shepherd who is recognized by the gatekeeper and allowed to enter through the door of the sheepfold and why the Pharisees are viewed as thieves and robbers who are leading God's people astray. This is why. Because Jesus is one with God and the Pharisees rejected him, they necessarily reject the Father. So the first point that Jesus makes here in this passage is that he is the good shepherd because he is legitimate. He is one with God and therefore has rightful authority as the good shepherd and therefore we can and should look to and trust in him. Second, Second reason Jesus can and should be trusted and followed as the good shepherd is because he is a compassionate shepherd. He is a compassionate shepherd. Jesus cares for his sheep. Look at John chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Here's the deal. At this time, 
in a sheepfold or a sheep pen, there might have been several different flocks of sheep that belonged to several different shepherds. But they would keep them together, pinned up in one spot. And then the shepherd would walk into the sheepfold and he would call for his sheep and he would only take his sheep out. So he would go in, he would lead his sheep out. And they would respond to him by coming to him and following him out. And notice the, notice the intimacy here in, in the relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. The sheep know their shepherd's voice. They hear their shepherd's voice. They respond to their shepherd's voice by following him. And we're told here that the shepherd knows his sheep by name and he calls for them and he leads them out. And of course, Jesus is using this illustration here to demonstrate the kind of relationship that he has with his followers. He's saying, this is the kind of relationship that I have with my sheep. He says, I know my sheep. I love my sheep. I lead my sheep. I care for my sheep. He is the good shepherd because he's compassionate, loving and caring toward his sheep. He's not some cold, calloused dictator who says, follow me or else. No, he loves and he cares for the flock. And I was trying to think of some examples this past week of this compassion and tenderness that Christ showed during his earthly ministry. And the reality is it's everywhere. It's all throughout his earthly ministry. A great example of this is when the little children wanted to come to Christ in Matthew 19. You remember that story? Remember, they wanted to come to him, and his disciples are holding them back. But look at what Jesus says in verse 14. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. It's a loving, compassionate shepherd. He says, let them come to me. Not only is he compassionate to children, but to, to women, to men, to the poor, to the downcast, to the sinful. He is a compassionate shepherd. And again, consider the contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees. Were the Pharisees compassionate? Were they loving guides? Remember what they did in John 9? They cast the man who had been born blind right out of the temple. They cast him out. But notice what Jesus does. John chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. See the difference? The Pharisees cast him out. Jesus takes him in. Jesus received him. At the beginning of John chapter 8, we find the story about a woman who is caught in the very act of adultery. And the Pharisees bring her before Jesus to be stoned, but Jesus tells her, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see? Jesus is the good shepherd because he is loving and caring toward his sheep. Therefore, we should respond to him like the man in John 9. We should look to him and make him our Lord, and we should love him and trust him and worship him and follow him. How many of you have ever heard the saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care? You heard that saying? Probably used that before, right? There's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? Listen, Jesus cares. He cares. 
He is a loving and compassionate caregiver. And because he is loving and compassionate toward us, we can and should trust him and follow him. That point is clearly made by Christ here in John chapter 10. And he even takes us a step further. Not only can we follow him, not only should we follow him, but Jesus makes the point that God's people do in fact follow him. A key characteristic of a follower of Christ is they follow Christ. How about that? Not too hard to wrap our minds around, right? Followers of Jesus, by definition, follow Jesus. It's true. Listen to verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. This is a description of God's people here. God's people listen to Jesus and they follow him. God's people are those types of people who follow Jesus. Following is not optional, folks. Do you hear me when I say that? Do I have to shout it? Following is not optional. It's not. There's this popular strand of thinking in Christianity today that says you can belong to Jesus and do whatever you want. You pray the prayer, you walk the aisle and you're in, you can go and do whatever you want to do. That's a far cry from what we have here in John 10, 27. It's true. Now, I'm not saying we're saved by our works. We're saved by faith alone. But get this, our faith is never alone. It's accompanied by works. Faith is the root of our salvation, but good works is the fruit of our salvation. They don't make us saved, but they do reveal us to be saved. You cannot turn anywhere hardly in this Bible and not find that teaching. It's all over the place. It's true. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They know me and they follow me. God's people are those types of people who follow Jesus. You want to know if you belong to God? Ask yourself this question. Am I trusting in and am I following Christ? You'll have your answer. Third, the third reason why Jesus can and should be trusted and followed as a good shepherd is because he is a protective shepherd. A protective shepherd. You know, a good shepherd is one who acts on the best interest in the best interest of his sheep. Who leads his sheep to safety and keeps them safe and secure. Look at John chapter 10, verse 7 through verse 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So we see here Jesus continues with this imagery of the sheepfold and the shepherd and the sheep. And so far in our illustration, Jesus has been the good shepherd. But notice at the end of verse 7 and beginning in verse 9 that Jesus refers to himself as the door. He says, I am the door. And this kind of throws people off because people say, well, I thought he represented the shepherd. You know, how, how can he represent the door as well? What's an illustration? I mean, you can do that, right? Yeah. Jesus illustrates both here. 
He's an illustration of both. He's both the good shepherd and he is the door. Now, the question we must ask is this, door to what? You know, doors, they lead to places, right? To other places. So, so what does he mean here? Door to where? We have our answer in verse 9. Look at it again. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus states here that he is the door that leads to salvation. Look at verse 10 again. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Once again, Jesus is contrasting himself here with the thief. And he is showing once again that he is a compassionate shepherd. He says, the thief comes not with the sheep's best interest at heart, but with his own interests. And he comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says this. He says, I am the protective shepherd. I have the sheep's best interest in mind. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly so we learn here that not only is Jesus the guide to life but he is the door to life he is the way to life and not just any old ordinary life but abundant life Jesus is the door to greener pastures he is the door to salvation he is the way to abundant life and that's not all that would be good right there right but that's not it the good news just keeps on coming if you read down, you see not only is Jesus the way to salvation, but he is the one who secures our salvation. We are secure. Look at John 10, 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one means no one, right? Jesus says no one, doesn't he mean no one? That's right. Don't you love the way Jesus puts this here? He says, my sheep are secure. They are in my hand and no one will snatch them out. I love that. Jesus says, I have sheep that are in my hand and no one or nothing can take them away. He says, because I am in control. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and care for them and lead them to salvation. And I keep them secure by my strong hand. And no one and nothing is going to snatch them out. And he emphasizes this further in verse 29. He goes even further than that. Look, verse 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. He says my sheep are doubly secure. Secured by my hand and secured by the hand of the father. Believers, how great is this truth? We are secure. If you have truly been saved, if you have turned from your sin and made Jesus the Lord of your life, you are secure. You are kept by Christ and by God the Father. You are safe. You are secure. You can't lose that. No one or nothing can take that from you. You can't take that from you. False guides can't take that from you. Satan can't take that from you. You are secure. This is what theologians call the perseverance of the saints says that God's people are secure and because they're secure they endure God's people are secure they're kept by the hand of Christ and they're kept by the hand of God and because they are kept by God they are secure and they endure they keep following they keep believing they keep trusting 
till the end. So Jesus came for this purpose. He came to bring salvation and he also came to secure it. This is his mission. This is the reason he came, was to save. It's not like he came here with another plan and said, you know, while I'm here, I might save a few people while I'm at it. No, salvation is the reason he came. Remember, all the way back, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we talked about this over Christmas. The angel tells Joseph that his name is to be called Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Remember, we studied this name. Jesus is another name for Joshua. Joshua's name means God is salvation. Jesus' very name means salvation because that's the reason he came. The primary reason he came, he came to save. And that's the main reason that he is to be looked to and trusted and followed as the good shepherd. Listen, Jesus' whole mission is about our well-being. It's about what's best for us. I remember when I was growing up, times I would ask my parents for things that were not good for me, and they would say no. And I would get upset, and they would respond with, Graham, you need to trust us. We know what's best for you, but at the time, I didn't trust them. I thought they were fun haters. Well, now I have kids of my own, and I understand where my parents are coming from a little more, and now my girls view me as the fun hater. But my point is this, a lot of times we view Jesus in this way, don't we? We really do. We think of him as a fun hater. We think that to follow Christ means that we have to abandon any and everything that is enjoyable in this life. But that's far from the truth. Jesus wants us to enjoy the blessings he provides, but there are certain things that he calls us to do and certain things he calls for us not to do that are in our best interest, even though we want to do them or not to do them. Listen, Jesus' entire ministry, his entire mission, his entire purpose, his entire reason for coming is because he wants what's best for us. He loves us, he cares for us, and he came to save us and keep us secure in him. Therefore, once again, we should look to him and believe in him and trust in him and follow him as the good shepherd because he is our protective shepherd. Fourth and finally, fourth reason why Jesus is to be followed as the good shepherd is because he is a selfless shepherd. Look at John 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I, on the other hand, Jesus says, am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus clearly states here that he's the good shepherd. He says it in this passage, right? And one of the main reasons why is because he is completely selfless. He is completely selfless. Notice he compares himself here with the hired hand. He says when trouble comes, the hired hand just leaves. He's out of there. He sees danger coming like wolves coming in to snatch up the sheep and he doesn't care anything about the sheep. He abandons them because they're not his. He does not own them, therefore he has no concern 
for them. Jesus says, not true of me. I am the good shepherd. I own the sheep. I care for the sheep. I know them. They know me. And when danger comes, I lay down my life for them. I stand between danger and the sheep because I love the sheep and I care for the sheep. I own the sheep. Look at verse 17. It's a great verse. For this reason, the Father loves me. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life and take it up again. Notice, the Father's love for the Son is connected to the Son's willingness to lay down his life for the sheep. So you not only see the love of Christ here, you see the love of the Father, don't you, in John 10. We learn here that the two, the Father and the Son, are united in their purpose. They're united in their mission. And we learn that the ultimate goal of both is to save and to redeem us. Like the Son, God the Father is committed to loving us. We learn that John 3, 16, don't we? For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. We also learn that the Son loves us so much that He came from heaven to earth to lay down His life for us. And here in verse 17, we learn that the Father's love for the Son is connected to the Son's willingness to lay down His life for the sheep. One of my favorite songs that we sing in here is How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Listen to how this song begins. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He would give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. That's how deep the Father's love for us is. His love is so deep that He gives His only Son to make us a wretch His treasure. It's amazing. Verse 18, Jesus also says, No one takes it from me, talking about His life. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. When we think about Jesus on the cross, we tend to think of him as this poor, helpless victim. We don't think of him like we sang earlier. He gave, he gave his life away. We don't often think of him in that way, do we? But we learn here several chapters before his arrest, trial, conviction, and crucifixion, him telling his audience, nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down. Jesus wasn't forced against his will to go to the cross. He laid down his life selflessly and willingly for his sheep. He gave, he gave his life away. And not only does he claim the authority to lay his life down, but at the end of verse 18, he also says that he has the authority to take it up again. We know that's exactly what happens, isn't it? He goes to the cross, he lays down his life, and three days later he takes it up again, and he does this for the sheep so that they might have life in him. This is why we can trust in Jesus as the good shepherd. One, because he's legitimate. He is God the Son, and he is the only one the Father recognizes and accepts. He is also a, a loving and compassionate caregiver who knows and cares for his sheep. He is also a protective shepherd who leads his sheep to salvation and keeps them secure in him. And lastly, we can and should trust in Christ as the good shepherd because he selflessly... And he willingly lays down his life for the sheep so that we might have life 
in him. So today, before we close, I want to encourage you to make sure you know Jesus as the good shepherd. Make sure that you're looking to him, believing in him, trusting in him, and following him. Let's pray.